All right, we're going to read from Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 10. At City Light, we hold that the Bible is God's Word. And as it's read faithfully and taught accurately, it's God speaking to us. So we're going to read from Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11, uh, 1 to 10. If you have a church Bible with you, that's on page 559, or it'll come up on the screen for you. Ecclesiastes 11, starting at sentence 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and is pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young men, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are a vanity. This is the word of God. Good afternoon. Uh, my name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being here this afternoon. We do hope you enjoy your time. If you're new or visiting us, love that you're here. Um, yeah, we do hope that uh, you have a good time and experience the grace of God. Um, as you said, we open the Bible every week. We, we look at it because we think God, it's how God primarily speaks to us, and we believe that He is uh, the creator of all things, and uh, we want to hear from Him. So that's what we're going to do now. Before I begin, I just want to say a big happy birthday to Izzy. It's Izzy's birthday today. She had a great, great way to spend your days by coming to church. Right, Izzy? Watching, and watching Netflix, too. Great. Um, uh, but we're about to jump into things. Uh, uh, we're in our fifth week of our six weeks of Ecclesiastes, looking at this idea of how to live amongst a world of chaos and find joy in that. And uh, a topic that's close to a lot of our hearts is the world we live in. We experience this chaos and out of control, but how do we live well in light of that? Ecclesiastes is a book of, uh, called Wisdom Literature in the Scriptures, and so it's all about how to live well, how to live well now. And so that's what the Wisdom Literature is about, that's what we're looking at today. Um, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, this morning I preached this sermon and played the, the most convicted person in the room was me. Which is interesting. Anyway, that's a good thing. Um, so I want to pray for us and for our hearts and that God would speak to us. Let's talk to God. Lord, we want to thank you that, um, that you are here among us this afternoon by your Spirit, that you love us, that you know us, that each person in the room here, that you know each of us, and you have brought us here for a reason. So we want to pray that you would just address us, speak to us, let us know more of yourself I want to pray for those of us who are feeling, um, are feeling uh, uh, up and comfortable that you would, you would challenge us and challenge our, our thinking about this world and where we stand with you, uh, but also how we're using our lives. For those of us who are feeling flat, we just want to pray that you would comfort us and be our God who loves us so much. 
trying to pray that you would use me as your servant. And again, you would convict our hearts of who you are. And we would leave here loving you more and wanting to serve you to the ends of the earth. So bless our time we ask today. Amen. Now, um, life can be cruel sometimes. So I'm sure you've experienced. It can be unpredictable, so uncertain. You can plan, you can hope. Then all of a sudden, things can be snatched away from you at the last minute. And that was sort of my week this week. A couple of weeks ago, um, a girl from 11am, Bree, um, who I know, um, uh, emailed me and said, oh, I thought you might be interested in this. And she emailed me, and it was uh, forwarded an email to me, and it was uh, an invitation to apply to be a part of uh, the audience or um, a restaurant for a new show called Hell's Kitchen Australia. <laughs> right? And so she knows the show at all with uh, the famous swearing uh, chef, Gordon Ramsay. They ran to Australia with a guy with a chef that I like called Marco Pierre White, and he's running that. And uh, Bree said, you know, I thought you might like it. It's got food and be celebrities. Bam, together you have two loves, which it really is. Um, so excitingly, uh, um, I told Katie, and she's like, yeah, we'll, we'll go. And you get a, a table of, of two or four. And so we invited Jez and Mel to come as well, and we're all keen. Anyway, we apply, and we hear nothing. I'm a little bit disappointed by that. Uh, Bree uh, gets an invite. Um, she goes. I say, what celebrities you see? She said, oh, I don't, didn't know any of them. I'm like, it's so wasted on you. Um, <laughs> How dare you? Had to repent of my bitterness and anger towards her. And, uh, but then on Monday, last Monday, I got an email saying, you're in. Wow, which is exciting. Yeah, right? Okay, Blair. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, on Monday, I got an email saying, you're in, right? Anyway, uh, got selected for lunch the next day, lunch. Luckily, I have a good boss who said it's fine for you to go, which is amazing. He's a good guy. And uh, same with Jez. And uh, anyway, we say, look, we can cut some time. We'll go and see uh, Marco Pierre White and my B-list people. Anyway, um, you know, I'm pretty happy. My, my celebrity dream is becoming a reality. Um, uh, I was planning what I was going to wear, how to react, you know, working all sh- worshiping my head. Anyway, Monday comes, Monday night comes, and we have Mark Dunstan, who's an 11am guy, uh, over for dinner. And um, uh, Katie makes us a really nice meal, and um, we have our food, and then... He leaves, and then afterwards, I'm feeling quite full, but still feeling full a few hours later. Anyway, go to bed, 11 o'clock or so, and I'm still feeling full. 1 a.m. comes, I'm still feeling so full, my food wants to come out of my mouth again, and out of the other end as well, if you know what I mean. Yep, and uh, I feel so sick for the rest of the night. My body is aching, I'm nauseous, I'm on the toilet hourly, I'm in a bad way, um, and got gastro, basically, and, my, uh, and I'm thinking, well, I can't have this, my date with Marco, what am I doing? I've got my date with my celebrity, I don't know what to do. I wake up, I'm feeling even worse. I'm at the point now, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And Katie's at the point of saying, you know, do you think you can get through it? You know, do you think we can go? She's keen to go, and so I feel the pressure of Katie now as well. And I go and have a shower, and I just feel terrible, I'm going to faint, and then I had to say, look, I can't, I've, we had to cancel. And so we, we couldn't go. I'm out. And life is cruel, isn't it? Life is cruel. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Anyway, um, <laughs> my hopes and dreams, my hopes and dreams were shattered in the blink of an eye. Gone. Gone. And uh, uh, it was hard. But, you know, there's a light how to look at uncertainty. But behind that, behind that story is a truth that we all know, and that is that life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. We don't know what is coming. We have no control over what is just around the corner, it is unstable. Uh, and it's a humbling thing, isn't it, to, to live in a world, to live day by day, where you do not know what is coming in your direction. You can't prepare for that. We have no control over the events that are coming our way. And we, if we step back and look at our lives and our day, we quickly realize 
that we are, we, 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 have, we have no uh, a control over what, how we respond or what is coming around the corner. People, relationships, jobs, career, possessions, they come and they go and often we have no control over them. Circumstances in our life can change in a heartbeat. Life is not stable. We can try new things, new ventures, uh, but they can often fall short and we get wider to try again. Life is unpredictable, life is uncertain, and we are not in control. And we can hear that, and we, we either can ignore that and go put your head in the sand, just keep going forward, or we sit up and have a look and we have a listen to that, and I wonder, how does that make you feel? For someone like me, who I'm prone to be anxious, and I like to be in control, and I like to have a plan, and I like to know what's coming, hearing that life is out of control, in a sense, or unpredictable and uncertain, makes me feel worried and scared. And that's what I do feel, that's how I feel sometimes. And the question is then, if that's the reality of the life that we live in, what do we do? How do you respond to that? That's our reality. How do we respond? How do we cope? Do we just give in? And do we just sit there in a little ball and going, please don't hurt me to the world? Is that how we cope? We're so crippled by our fears and our worries, we just don't do anything. Or the fear of failure, we don't try anything anymore. What do we do? How are we to live? in a world of chaos and confusion. And Ecclesiastes 11 speaks right into this world of uncertainty that we live in day by day. And I'm going to show you what the writer, the teacher of Ecclesiastes has to say. Let me show you sentences 1 to 6 that Jez just read for us. You're in the screen behind me, and it says this. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you will not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they enter themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes for the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which one will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now you can read that and think, how's that the answer to what you just said? <laughs> That's a bit of, again, Yoda speak, we'll try and unpack that. Um, remember, this, this, is the, this is written by a guy who's old in his age, he's wise, he's, he's you know, probably one of the wisest uh, people at the time in the kingdom, and he's writing about what, how he views life and his experience of life. And he's trying to share that with us. In the first six sentences, we really read him speaking about our inability to, c- to control the times or our lives, really, is what he's saying, emphasizing our lack of knowledge. We are mortal beings. And he shows us in three ways how we have no control. Firstly, and if you bring, this, bring the, um, the, the passage back up on the screen for me, Phoebe, that'd be great. Firstly, you get the te- teacher saying things like, end of sentence two, for you know not what disaster may, not ha- may happen to you on earth. Uh, Sentence 5, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Sentence 6, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or both both alike will be good. The teacher's emphasizing humanity's, our lack of knowledge, our lack of control, our lack of knowing what is even going to come. We do not know. Chapter 7, 14 of Ecclesiastes says both good times and bad times lay ahead for each of us. And we don't know when they're going to come, or what time they're going to come, or how they're going to come. We have a lack of knowledge as finite human beings in this world. And secondly, we don't have any control over who God is or what He does or how He moves. It says there, as both the wind, uh, the wind and the formation of the body and the womb are deeply mysterious, 
so too is the way of God and how he works. 20, uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things are of the Lord. As in, we don't know. We don't know how he works, what he's, up, what he's up to. Teacher says, then it's through when the clouds are full of water, rain inevitably falls. And there is nothing the farmer can do about it. My, um, my brother-in-law is a farmer out in Central West at a place called Emerald, Central West, deep Central West of Queensland. And, um, and uh, he, he's a cattle farmer. So there's all these cows everywhere. And uh, we always talk, I always ask him, does he need rain? They always need rain out, out there. And uh, recently they had some cattle, they had to move from one big paddock to another, and they had to get a big truck in to move uh, the cattle. And, uh, but the problem was the rains were coming and they were flooding the paddocks and the truck couldn't get in. And he was saying, he could, he could see the clouds coming. He knew rain was coming, but there was nothing he could do about it. He has no control over that. He could see it coming. You know, they, 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 uh, the farmers know how to read the weather. They read the clouds. The rain's coming. It's going to come. But he can do nothing about that. And that's the teacher's point here. Even if we can work out sort of what's happening, we have no control over it. We have zero control over it. No power to stop it. He makes the same point with the trees. The trees are there. They crash down on the ground. We can see them falling, but we have no control over these trees, where they're going to fall, how they're going to fall. We have little control over them. Thirdly, the teacher emphasizes our lack of knowledge control when we pursue various uh, projects or activities or work. He says you cannot predict what's going to work and what's not going to work. They might, might, everything might work or it might not. Who knows? That's what the teacher is saying. As human beings, we, can, we can't control very much of our lives. We don't even have enough, enough power. We don't have enough, don't have enough power or knowledge to control it. We don't know what endeavors are going to work, whether they will fail or they will succeed. We don't know what's around the corner. The question is, what do we do? We live in a world like this. What do you do in light of this truth, I guess, which we all experience day by day? Being a dad of three kids, I love watching my, my, little, chi- my little children um, grow up, and I love watching how they interact with each other in the world. As they start to understand the world more, you can see they start to process things and understand how to, how to engage with the world. At the moment, my, uh, my kids are in a real big crying phase at the moment, which I'm really not digging at all, to be honest. Um, the other night, at about 6.30 at night, one of my kids came to me, and they said to me, and they were crying, and I'm, I'm like, hey, what's up, you know, what's up? And they were like, um, oh, Daddy, I, I just really miss my teacher from last year. <laughs> Look, you know, I'm the most empathetic dad in the world, but that one was not cutting it. I'm like, please, suck it up, like a little bit, like, that's five months ago, five, like, anyway, but we're in this crying phase, and um, my daughter, Sav, who's four, has this thing, she's not this thing now, but if she doesn't get her own way, she'll either walk super slowly, like to shuffle her feet like this, for like the whole, like for 10 minutes, I'm like, what are you doing? And then, or she'll just sit down on the ground and cry, like where she is, poof, shut down, crying, right, that. Other night we're having dinner, and she, um, she spilled some tomato sauce on her top, and, and she was a bit upset about that, and I said, look, go to your room and change, if you're upset, get a new top, and that's fine. Uh, she goes to a room, she's just, and I hear three minutes later, she's just crying in a room, I'm like, oh, okay. There we go again, just crying again. And, uh, and, I, and I go in there and say, Sav, what's up? And she's just sitting there crying, just shuts down, doesn't say anything, just crying. I'm like, oh, no, Savvy, come on. How can I help you? What's going on? Doesn't say anything, just cries, cries, cries. Anyway, I said, look, okay. And I, I walk out, and then 10 minutes later of crying, Katie goes in and finds out that she was crying because she couldn't find another pajama top to put on. Yeah. And so um, instead of her saying, Daddy, can you help me find another top? I would have helped her, looked after her. She just... Shuts down, sits on the ground, it's all too hard, I will just cry and sit in the ball. That's what she does. And you know, uh, I use that illustration because I know in life, I can sometimes feel the same way as my youngest daughter. 
if I step back from life and I look at the uncertainty and, and, and um, confusion in the world, I can sometimes feel like that I'd maybe just want to sit down and cry and hide from the water around me. It's all too hard. It's all too overwhelming. I don't want to engage anymore. I'm too scared. I'm too worried. Uh, we pred- I, can, I can predict the worst case scenarios. I become a pessimist. And it cripples me from doing anything or wanting to engage with anyone. It stops, it stops me from enjoying any relationship. And I don't want to try or pursue anything at all anymore. And when I get really bad and get really sort of protective, I'll try and protect those I love as well from, from, uh, from any of the confusion in the world. Um, as you know, I'm, I, I'm not a pet guy at all, but uh, I never wanted to get, let my kids get meaningful pets. Fish don't count. They're not meaningful. That's why I say that. Um, they come and they go very quickly. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I thought, you know, mice would be okay. So we, we, we allowed our kids to get mice, and uh, where they have. The other day, one of my, my favorite uh, mouse uh, got a tumor and ginger, and I had to be put down. Now, that made me really sad, surprisingly sad, and, and it made my kids sad. And in my head, I'm thinking, I didn't want to do this and go through this and this emotional roller coaster, and I got a bit angry at my wife saying, I told you this was going to happen, and you know, like... <laughs> This is why I didn't want to get pets, Katie, you know, and uh, I want to protect her and just sort of pull back from life and say, let's not get animals, let's not let ourselves get hurt again, you know. That's, <laughs> that's the response with me, is what I feel like sometimes in this world. I want to sit down and say, it's all too much, it's all too hard, I don't want to have that anymore. You know, that's why I don't want to get any more pets, really. But it's scary. And, and I know if, if you've been through hardship or you've been through suffering or pain or you've experienced loss, then that's often our response is to pull back and to withdraw and say, I don't want to feel that again. I don't want to go through that again. I want to protect myself. I don't want to engage in anything anymore. I've tasted what it's like. I've tasted the hurt and pain, and I do not want to be there anymore. I'm not going there again. I've done life, and it's hard, and I've failed. No more for me. And I'm sure you've experienced that. But the question is, then what do we do? Because we, we, we do do life, we live, and how do we live in light of this? And as we read Ecclesiastes, how does the teacher respond to this? What's the teacher's advice? Knowing that there is confusion and potentially, most likely, trouble coming again. Well, let me show you what he says. Uh, let me go back to uh, 1 to 6. So in light of living in an uncertain world and having no idea what's coming and no control over anything, the teacher says this in sentence one, just cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. This is what the teacher is saying. What does this mean? He's saying, don't let the fear or worry of the unknown stop you, cripple you from living and pursuing life, from doing life. Don't let, the, don't let the fear of failure stop you from giving things a go. He says, cast your bread upon the waters. Another translation reads, send your grain across the seas. Throw things out. Give things a go. Give it a shot. He says, in time, uh, profits will flow back to you. He goes on to say, you know, the idea of um, dividing your investment among many places, seven or eight. Send it around to a few different places in case you're not sure it's going to succeed. Give things a go. Give things a shot. But the idea is, it may flow back to you in time, this idea of, look at the long-term picture, not the short-term gain. Have your vision on the long-term perspective, not on the short-term. Most likely in the short-term, it will fail, but the long-term, it may be fruitful. You get this idea of casting your bread upon the waters, is sit loosely with these gifts and possessions that you have. 
throw them out there. Sit loosely with them in your hands. Don't become too attached to them. And this fits with what Ecclesiastes is saying about gift versus gain. All things in life are, are fleeting, are vanishing, are vapor. You can't hold on to them. They'll slip through your fingers. So these gifts that we have in our hands, we can just cast them out. We can enjoy them with an open hand. Teacher warns against doing nothing, sentence four. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you wait for the perfect situation, the perfect scenario, if you think you've got everything sorted out and wait for the, until you think, you think you've got everything figured out, then you have a go, you will never do anything. Because life is not like that. You cannot figure everything out perfectly and then say, oh, now I'll do it. Because that's not how life works. It's confusing. It's messy. It's all over the shop. So he's saying, don't wait until you can figure it out. Just go at it. You know, the danger is that people who, who will not sow or will not reap because they're waiting, they'll just miss out. They'll miss out. They'll miss out on life. The teacher's view throughout the book has been that life should be embraced, that life is good, it's a gift to be, to be lived and to be enjoyed. And there'll be good and bad seasons. If you, wait, if you watch life and try and predict what's coming, you'll do nothing. You'll do nothing. The teacher says, just go for it, don't be idle. Sow, reap, you may fail, you may succeed. Because you've got an open hand with these gifts, it doesn't matter because who you are and your identity and your life and your meaning is not built upon these gifts. Therefore, you can go at it. Sentence 9 and 10, it says, uh, enjoy life while you're young, go at, go at life and do it. Whatever you find yourself doing, do it with all your might, the teacher says. Don't give in the fear of the failure or the false promise of success. And the person who knows they don't control life, it launches into life enthusiastically, they will know some reward because they're actually doing and living out what God created us to do, to be fruitful, to go on life, to, to enjoy uh, uh, the toil under the sun, as he says. But the person who wants to control the outcome should avoid, uh, uh, and avoids the risk will do nothing and miss out on the reward of living. The teacher, the teacher says something similar in sentence uh, 10 of chapter 9. He says, whatever you find your hand to do, do it with all your might. There is no work or thought or wisdom in Sheol, which you are going. He says, life, uh, life is short and death is long. Therefore, go at life. And this makes sense in the light of the whole book. Again, if we see life and these things and these gifts as, as gifts from God that we don't build our lives upon, we can go at life and cast them of our bread among the water. We can give things a go. We can risk because who we are is not wrapped up in that. We're not, we're not caught up in, in these things of the word, our possessions, in our money, because our, our identity is built off on something different than those things. Now, you can sit here and go, okay, cool, cool, Gavin, I get what you're saying. We need to go at life. Don't worry about fear. Just go at things. So am I saying, you know, does that mean we should chase our dreams and go and sacrifice everything to pursue our dream job and our dream career and go traveling and, and you know, get that big house and car and boat? Is that what we should do, Gav, pursue that? Well, sentence 9 answers that, and the answer is, is no. Look at sentence 9 if it's on the screen again. It says, Rejoice, O young men, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And whatever in front of you, go at it. Do it right now. Be in the moment. But know that all, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. See, the writer sets parameters around this. He's saying, pursue life. Don't let the fear of failure get you. But know that whatever you pursue in life, God will bring you to account for how you pursued it and what you've done. Probably get a bit sick of me talking about 
my, my battle and my experience with uh, anxiety, but I want to share again what things that I've been learning from that and continue to learn. As you know, I suffered a, a big bout of anxiety over almost two years in, in ago now, which I've just battled with and struggled with and got through, which has been good. Um, but on, uh, there was this one occasion, which I probably would have, you would have, I would have shared with you before, where I was at home and um, in the midst of my anxiety, for the height of it, I was, um, I was at home one night with Katie and I really felt like in that moment that it was probably the most anxious I've ever been in my life and I could not get my thoughts under control, which I've never had, uh, never had happen to me before. And it f- almost felt like that I was going insane or going out of my mind and I couldn't control it and there was this horrible mind space that I was in for a couple of hours and it felt like I didn't know the way out of that and I felt like it was this dark room that I couldn't break out of and uh, I remember the next day waking up and by the God's grace I um, managed to come out of that somehow and it felt like emotionally I was on the edge of this cliff and I had this choice to make in those next few days and it was like that I was slipping more and more down into my anxiety and, and, in a sense, slipping more and more down into myself. And I had a choice whether I wanted to keep going that way or I could pull up and pull out and go somewhere different. And I think this choice I had to, 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 uh, to make was I could fight and I could get help and get on medication and see a psychologist and exercise and starting to seek, seek God and seek other people to love them. Or I could almost do nothing and keep feeling sorry for myself um, and uh, keep thinking about how no one understands me and seek not to love other people at all and just withdraw inside myself more and more and more. And I had to decide and um, it felt like if I, if I chose to do nothing, the path back out would have been a long, long path and a harder one and a long way back. So in God's strength, I chose to do something. I, I, I didn't know how I was going to go. I didn't know if I had the strength to do it or whatever, but I chose that... Um, I would try and get help, and I would actually try to choose to love God if I didn't feel like it, and choose to love other people. And it, what, what, that, what happened was, when I chose to do that, and especially as I got my mind off me and to love God and other people, it got me out of myself. It got me up and out of thinking about how am I going, how am I doing, who's loving me, who's caring for me, who's doing who, 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 about me, 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 me. And it got me up to think of, I want to love God and seek to love other people. And my anxiety started to slip back because like I almost had this self-forgetfulness. It got me off my self-wallowing. Now, I believe why this worked for me was because as human beings, God has created us not to be navel-gazers. He's actually made us to focus on Him and to love others. Now, I know each person is different, and so each of us have different capacities, but deciding to love others got my eyes up off me and onto other people and away from myself and my anxious thoughts. And God did a big work through that, and I gave it a go, not knowing the outcome. Now, that's just my experience of trying to live in light of who God is, being a follower of Him, trying to live in light of eternity and doing what God calls me to do, and not knowing the outcome. But I think this is what the teacher is trying to say to us here. He's saying, yep, life is going to be out of control. It's going to be unpredictable. We will face good times and hard times, but don't let this make you idle. Don't let the fear of the unknown stop you from having a go. Don't just play life safe. Live in light of God's judgment, saying, when you meet Jesus face to face in the last day, which we all will, every knee will bow, as Philippians 2, before the judge of the earth. 
when you meet Jesus face to face on that last day, would that day be in a thousand years or that day be tomorrow? Who knows? The Bible says, who knows? What do you hope you have, tr- what do you hope you, you tried or had a shot at or g- had a risk on when you stand in front of the Creator? What do you hope He's going to say to you? What do you hope you will say to Him? How does your life now make sense of that moment in eternity? Does it make sense? What were you wished you, have, you would have risked or tried or gone at? Is it, wish, is it you wish you were more generous in the way that you lived? You sought the better of people more often. You were more generous with maybe your time or your money or you invested in worthwhile causes rather on yourself and be building bigger barns, as the Bible says. Is it wish you spend you're more hospitable uh, rather than fooling yourself with a lie that I'll be more hospitable once I get a bigger place or once I get more money or once I... Is it wish, you wish you'd, t- you'd taken more relational risk with people and just shared your life with them more, invested in them more, and shared your love of Jesus with them? Is it you wish you quit your job sooner and gave something else a go rather than playing it safe and got invested in something with more eternal meaning or purpose? Is it what you wish you would have stopped giving your fears and worries and your insecurities and your fear of failure and given something like ministry ago, or Bible college ago, or going overseas to be a missionary ago. What will make sense in that moment of seeing Jesus face to face? What should you have given a go, taken a risk on? You know, Jesus tells a story, as I just mentioned, in Luke 12 of a man who, uh, Jesus says, wasted his life. Here's a man, it's a parable that Jesus tells of uh, a man who had lots of stuff, and uh, he had so much stuff, couldn't fit into his house anymore. So he says, I'm going to build a bigger barn, a bigger house. And so he goes, I'll build a bigger barn. And then for the rest of my days, I will just sit back, relax, and chill out, and just enjoy my stuff. He goes ahead and builds his stuff, builds his bigger barn. When he's just finishing building, Jesus says, you fool. Because tonight your life was demanded of you. And what do you got to show for it? What have you done? How have you prioritized me or other people? You know, Ecclesiastes says life is full of ups and downs, good and bad. But it's saying we need to have the long-term view in sight. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to say you have been saved, you have been rescued, and you have been given a new life, and you've been stamped as a child of the living God with the Holy Spirit inside you. That cannot be taken away. That can be not snatched away from you at all. That is who you are forever through Jesus' death and resurrection for you. And Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come so you have life and life to the full. You have eternal life. And I want to say that eternal life starts now. That is yours in Christ, on His righteousness, not your own. Therefore, if that is you, you are freed to live a radical life, a risky life for Jesus. And in a sense, we're risking nothing because we have secured for us every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're free to live in light of eternity. We know and see here that life is, 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 not, is not all there is. This is just a preface page, as C.S. Lewis famously says. We're to live with a long view in sight. We know how the story ends. We can give things a go. We don't need to play it safe because our security rests in Jesus and what we have in Him. He has overcome all things and he is seated on the throne. Heaven is our home. And I love that he says, I've gone in John, in, I think it's John 14 or 15, I've gone to prepare a place for you. 
and it's ready for you when you want it. It's there. And that is nothing that no one can snatch away. It's there for you. That's our home. See, the gospel makes our future certain. We, we, we live in a world of uncertainty. For us, as followers of Jesus, our future is certain. Therefore, we can take risks. We don't have to be idle. We can go and live for the glory of God for whatever purpose, whatever seems crazy to the world, because we have our future secure. You know, in the, at the start of this year, we did a really cool series looking at the biographies of people in um, church history. And we looked at a few people, and one of my favorite people was a guy called John Patton, who went to a place called the New Hebrides, Vanuatu, in the 1800s, took his wife there, and the Vanuatu at that point was full of cannibals. So missionaries that went would just be eaten, basically, be killed and eaten. And he was there, and about to go, taking his new wife, and they were in their early 20s, I think. And he was there, about to leave, and a guy from his church came up to him, an older Christian elder of the church, and said, John, what are you doing? You'll be eaten by cannibals. And John Patton said to them, he says, Mr. Dixon, that was his name, for you are advanced in years now. Bit of a cheap shot there, isn't there? <laughs> and your prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. You're going to die, man. <laughs> then he says, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that I can, but I, I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, and it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. Like this guy is so secure in what is to come that he can go and pursue risky things for the Lord. Cannibals, worms, whatever. I have my hope in Christ. I'm going to finish with a parable again that Jesus tells, and it's called the parable of talents. Basically, in this parable, there's a landowner who entrusts his God in the story, and he entrusts three servants to look after his land for him and to um, look after it and make it happen and work, and he'll come back and check on them. But he also gives them money. And he says, I want you to use this money and, and use it. Don't, don't, uh, don't take it for yourself, but use it and, and, and make it grow for me, in a sense. Long story short, um, two, of, two of the first servants, they go and, and double their money. The third servant gets the money, buries it in the ground, hides it, sits on it, waits, does nothing with it. Landowner comes back to check in what's going on, to see if they've done what he's asked them to do. And the first two guys go, look, we've doubled your money. And he goes, great, for, you know, um, I'm going to give you more stuff to look after. Third person goes, look, I was a little bit worried. You're an angry guy. I'm a bit scared of you. Um, you're cruel. And so I didn't want to, you know, I was a bit fearful. So I, the money I got has buried it. So here's a, here's a back. And the landowner goes, that is not what I asked you to do. I specifically told you to go and put this money to use. And you did not. Out of fear, you did nothing. Gets the servant, he throws him out. No longer a servant of mine. See, the point of this parable is that Jesus is saying that he has gifted his people in many, many ways. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have, first, the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you. You have the gift of church, you have the gift of so many things, and he specifically gifted us in different ways. And he says, you have to use these gifts for my glory. We have gifts of money and possessions and relational abilities, and we live in a place like Sydney with so much resources. We're to use them. We're to use them to show God off and to love other people, living in light of eternity. And we're, not, we're called not to play it safe. We're not called to be scared or to be worried, knowing that He is on His throne. We find our purpose and our meaning and who we are as children of God. And out of that freedom, we go and take risks for the glory of God. That's what He's called us to do. Ecclesiastes says, we do not know how long we'll live for. 
and the gospel will make sense of our, of our, of our future. Therefore, go at life, use its gifts, take risks for the glory of God, knowing that the ending is secure in light of the gospel. Love God and love others and show Jesus to the whole entire world, whatever it takes. That's how we live well and joyfully in a confused world. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I just want to pray for, for each of us and even for my own soul that's feeling convicted by your word that we would not hear this word and it would not fall on deaf ears or we would not feel convicted right now and walk away and do nothing. I want to pray, Lord, that we would, we would live in light of eternity. We would so be sure of the gospel of grace, of of redemption that we have been bought with the blood of Jesus, that nothing can take us out of your hand. And so we are free to take risks here and now because we have everything in Christ. Help us be people who live for you day by day and doing whatever it takes. Help us to act upon the convictions you have given us. Help us to make changes to bring our request before you. And Lord, help us be people who hold all things in open hands, knowing that you have us in the palm of your hand. May you use us all for your glory, Lord. We know that in, in you using us is joy and life and purpose and meaning. Amen.